Hello, friends, and welcome to the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. I'm Sharon Betters, your host. And I don't know what the years were when you grew up, but back in the 80s, there was a commercial for perfume that became a classic. Anyone from that era hears it and remembers can see it on television. A gorgeous woman sang and acted out these words. I can put the wash on the line, feed the kids, get dressed, pass out the kisses and get to work by five of nine because I'm a woman, W-O-M-A-N. I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan and never, never, never let you forget you're a man because I'm a woman, W-O-M-A-N. And if you know that song, then that jingle is gonna be in your head all day long and you're gonna be so ticked because um, I placed it there. But that commercial really reflects the message of Western culture for women. You can have it all. And over 40 years later, women seem to have it all, at least almost. And yet statistics show high numbers of women are depressed, turning to different kinds of painkillers like alcohol, opioids, relationships, buying more, doing more, and sometimes taking their own lives because they're trying to ease the burnout of their souls. We have to ask what's happening. And today, our guest, Jen Oshman, who is the author of Enough About Me, Finding Joy in the Age of Self, is gonna help us understand a little bit about how we got to this place of restlessness and how our theology can help us navigate this maze of, as she puts it, meology. Jen has been in women's ministry for over two decades as a missionary and pastor's wife on three continents. She is the mother of four daughters, along with being the author of the book, Enough About Me. And she also is the host of All Things, a podcast about cultural events and trends. I am just excited that this woman who is so busy and has such a wonderful bio is sharing with us today. I'm so excited to introduce Jen to to you. So Jen, you have four daughters, but you just have a new addition to your family. Tell us about this new addition. Yes, we do. Thank you so much, Sharon, for that sweet introduction. And I have to say, I did not know that jingle to that commercial But, oh man, it hits the nail on the head of what I talk about and enough about me. So I'm going to be looking that commercial up after this recording. But yes, we are the parents of four daughters, which has been such a joy. And our newest daughter is actually our oldest daughter, which the math on that is hard to figure out sometimes. But we brought home a 12-year-old daughter from Thailand, adopted her 10 or 12 years ago. Now she's 24 now and married to a young man in the army who we are so proud of. And they put us in the fast lane as grandparents. We got a granddaughter from them two years ago, and now we have a grandson. And so it's pretty thrilling because this is the first boy ever to come along in the Oshman family. And I'm actually going to go see him and cuddle him in just a couple days. And I can't wait to give my daughter a hug and, and cuddle those grandbabies. Well, I know that you would agree with myself. My daughter just became a grandmother. So we're great grandparents. Wow. That's young, Sherry. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. But she is turning herself inside out with joy and you you just, you can't explain it to people. I had a friend who said, you'll get it when you hold that baby in your arms, you'll get it. There's something that happens to you. So congratulations. Thank you. I know you're going to enjoy every minute. So 
Tell us a little bit about your podcast. Yeah. So this coming January, in just a few months, I guess I'll hit doing it for three years, which is crazy to me, but I do it on my own. And so that kind of gives me some flexibility, but also it's usually weekly, but I've had to take months off here and there to finish book writing and things like that. But what I like to do is take a deep dive into current events and cultural trends. And my passion really, and you probably picked this up in enough about me, my passion is to really study what's going on in culture and apply scripture to it. And so to see what's happening to us as a people, and then see what God's word has to say about that and to help my listeners and my readers interpret current events and cultural trends through a biblical lens. So I'm just really helping us understand what are the motives of our heart? What is the motives of our culture? And how can we discern and be wise and reject that which is not of the Lord and embrace that which is, and just be ambassadors for Christ in this cultural moment? I think that's one reason I'm so drawn to your book, because in my writing and my own writing and speaking, I talk a lot about a biblical worldview. When I first started talking about this many years ago, I think that many in the audience didn't even know what a worldview was. So explaining that that worldview, that everything you think is pushed through that and how important it is to have a biblical worldview, theology matters and Absolutely. It matters in our everyday lives. And it, it matters in what you write about. In fact, mm-hmm. it's just the cornerstone and at Mark Inc. with this podcast, we typically tell stories of people who have gone through really broken places and how the Lord sustained them. But we are adding conversations like this one because we believe there's more to the story. We want people to see the theology that resulted in them finding God's faithfulness and experiencing his presence. So I'm just real excited about your book. Why did you write this book? I mean, honestly, it has so much to do with what you just said. The reality is that we all are theologians. Every single human on the planet is a theologian. We all have a worldview, whether it's a biblical worldview or not. And it's kind of the air that we breathe. And so, so many times, even those of us who seek to be discerning and are actively and intentionally parsing out, you know, what we believe and why we believe it, it can creep in things that are not true. Things that are not of the word of God can creep in and just influence how we view things. And so especially when a tragedy arises or a crisis arises or life just gets stressful, or honestly, even when ultimate joy happens, a wedding or a baby. I mean, there there are these moments that we view through one lens or another. And my burden is that women especially would view it through the lens of truth, that they would view both joy and sorrow, good times and bad, grief and happiness through the lens of their creator, their God in heaven, who made them, knit them together, and their savior, Jesus, who stands ready to rescue and redeem them and walk with them through the through whatever moment is, is transpiring. And so, you know, to bring it back to your illustration at the beginning, that jingle, if we're living through a worldview that says we are self-made and we can have it all and we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we can do everything, then at the end of the day or the end of the year or the decade or whatever, whenever our human strength finally runs out, We are going to feel exhausted and betrayed, and we're going to realize that we've been living according to a worldview that's false. And so my desire was to prevent that or to come alongside a woman experiencing that and say, here's what's really true. And our our flourishing is dependent on us interpreting life through a true lens. We will not flourish if we're walking by lies. And so the desire is to help, help women especially see what's true about the goodness of our God. One thing I've learned over the years, and I have to keep reminding myself about it, is that when we say yes to one thing, we say no to something else. 
I think probably a lot of people listening might be thinking, she's hitting a nerve, but I'm not sure I understand it exactly. So what are some ways that you would say we are saying yes to the culture? What are, what are some practical ways we could realize, oh, I'm saying yes to the, the culture's theology rather than to the theology of scripture or the character of God? Yeah, that is so hard, Sharon. I mean, I feel like that's a conversation I'm having with myself and a prayer I'm bringing before the Lord all the time, sometimes even multiple times a day, because this is hard. You know, we live in this moment that's not only a self help moment. I mean, for decades now, we've been saying we can DIY everything from our kitchen floor to our master's degree to diagnosing our medical condition to, you know, whatever, like DIY is everywhere. Right. And so, and especially for women, I think our, the the cultural mantra is, you know, you can do this yourself. You go girl, you know, uh, reach for the stars and you'll get there. And so I think that it's just so pervasive. It's so um, in our faces because not only is it the age of self, but it's also the age of social media. So we are scrolling Facebook and Instagram and other social media platforms, and we are seeing everybody's highlight reels. We are seeing how well they're executing their home decor, taking their children to school, dressing their children, putting, you know, organic farm to table food on the table. Not only that, but they've got these corporate careers. They're bringing home six figures plus they're on these vacations to Hawaii, right? We're just seeing And even beyond that, they're like involved in their church and these humanitarian things. And we're just looking at pictures after pictures and videos after videos of everybody who's doing it all, because none of us are posting when we're on the couch, exhausted at night, feeling like this is not working. None of us are posting when we drink too much or take, you know, go to opioids or go to whatever to soothe our souls. We're not posting those things. And so we are living in this echo chamber that says you can have it all. And here's pictures of everybody having it all. And if you don't have it all, something's wrong with you. So we keep striving after that. And I think it is so, so damaging. So we do really have to be real and say, we are humans. We are finite. We are fragile. We are limited. We have a creator who made us to have rest eight hours a night to have a Sabbath once a week to unplug, to de-stress, to remember that we are limited, but that he is not. And so my heart is that myself and the other women that I know would embrace our finiteness and not think that we are infinite. We are not God. We are not, we should not be sitting in the seat of the sovereign. And so I would just love to see myself and women and the women I love, the women in my church, the women around the nation, just be real about our limitedness and say, well, for this season, I cannot pursue this, but I can pursue this. I'm not getting eight hours of sleep a night. I don't feel like I have margin for a Sabbath once a week. Those things are sort of lights on the dashboard that say, you know, here's a warning. Your life is too full. If you're not getting enough sleep, if you're not getting enough rest, if you don't have time for your church community, if you don't have time to gather with the saints and worship with the saints, you know, those are all various lights on the dashboard. And I think one of the most countercultural things we can do is say, you know what? I'm human. I can't have it all. I can't do it all. And that's okay. I am going to abide in Jesus who has given me life and breath and everything. He's determined when and where I should live. And I'm going to steward this moment for his glory to the best of my human ability with his help. I love, I love everything you just said. Susan Hunt and I co-authored a book called Aging with Grace, Flourishing in the Aging Culture. I cannot wait to read that, Sharon. Everything you're saying, we're we're saying kind of similar to that, that it's not about doing more. It's about being who you are in Christ and constantly pursuing 
that intimacy with him. And I'm 73 years old. And just so you know, I still struggle with this. I mean, the other day I was, I was writing, I hadn't written in my journal for a long time. We'd had some medical crises and everything. And so I thought I really need to write this down. So I remember everything that the Lord did and what it was like. And so then I found myself trailing off into how inadequate I feel and, you know, that I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing these days and all of that. And the more I wrote, the more I realized, wait a minute, this is about intimacy with Jesus. It was helping me to unravel and to get back to the basics of the Lord is telling me what to do right now. He's saying, come back to me, all you who labor, you're laboring and you're not resting in me. Come back to me and spend time with me and make that time to spend with him. So when you are in that kind of a place, what does that look like for you? If you look at the dashboard and all these lights are blinking, what are some practical things that you personally do to do a course correction? I love what you said about just realizing I needed to slow down and write in my journal and just abide with the Lord. Um, I think that burnout, you know, and not that that was specifically burnout, but just to use that term very loosely is a gift. We resist it with all we've got, you know, I want let, how fast can I run and for how long without needing to take a break, you know, and we sort of exalt that as if that were godlier than other options. And it's not true. It's just not true. And I think burnout is the Lord, as you said, saying, come to me, come sit at my feet, drink this living water. Let me fill you up because you continue to go to cisterns that are empty, you know? And I, I, so I, I just want to say, if you're feeling burnt out to those who are listening, that is a gift of grace from your God in heaven and take the time to answer that call and to run to him. So there's a number of things that I do. And again, like I said, this is something that I'm doing every day where I'm, I'm evaluating the schedule and going, you know, where have I maybe thought more highly of myself than I ought? Where have I thought that I'm indispensable and I'm not? at all. Like the the Lord does not need me to run the universe or to speak to women or anything. Like I am dispensable. So where have I thought that I must be that I really don't need to be? And just to be honest before the Lord and before myself. Now there's several people that help me with that. My husband, thankfully, he loves to engage in conversation with me and look at the calendar with me. I am just really grateful to the Lord that he sees my gifts and tries to make space for me to use them. And so we're really partners in ministry in every way. And that is awesome. But he helps me see, you know, you're, you're running ragged here, or you're, you're depending, you're, you're doing, spending your time somewhere. That's really not necessary. What are you doing? And then I have a couple of really good friends and we call ourselves a core group. That's what we do in our, our specific local church, but it's groups of three people who meet together every week. And so these are like two of my best friends here in Colorado. They also happen to be married to elders at our church. And so we confess our sin to each other every week and help each other remember the gospel and remember our need for the Lord. They help me see that as well. They're able to objectively look at my life and say, Jen, you're traveling too much or you're not, you know, taking enough time to be at home with your kids or whatever. I have invited them to speak truthfully to me and they do. So I think community is key. We cannot be believers who follow hard after the Lord without other believers helping us do that well. And then I also try to have that line of communication open with my kids. You know, I get out my calendar and try to, you know, put things. So this is a one rule I think that's really helpful is I don't want to miss or outsource relationships or opportunities where I am maybe the primary person in that relationship that should be there. So 
And there's very few of those relationships, but that includes my marriage. That includes my children and maybe my parents. You know, there's a few relationships where only Jen Oshman is the wife or the daughter or the mother. And so I don't want to forsake that role for a role where Jen Oshman is one of number of writers or speakers or Bible teachers or whatever. Those roles are awesome. And I do think I'm called to those things. But if I am missing the relationships where I'm the one and only person for that specific role, then I think I'm doing it wrong. And I need to back out where, you know, of the places where I am dispensable to the role where there's only one of me for that specific scenario. I hope that makes sense. That was kind of a muddy explanation, but. I I especially love the last thing that you said, because I don't think we hear that enough. And I wish I had heard that when I was younger, because I feel like I missed out on some really important opportunities and relationships because I didn't look at it that way. You know, I I didn't define myself narrowly enough to say these are the most important roles in my life. I knew it, but how did I live it out at times? It's hard. And I think we have to acknowledge we're not going to do it right every time. We're going to do it imperfectly. And so we have to be ready to give and receive grace and not think that my performance as a mom or as a wife or as a Bible teacher or whatever, that my joy, my peace, and the well-being of the world is dependent on my perfect performance because I won't do it perfectly. So I have to be ready to say my hope is not in my perfection, but my hope is in Christ who will rescue me and my loved ones and where I've done it wrong. But of course, to strive, right? With God's help and the Holy Spirit's leading to strive to do it in a way that honors him and honors our loved ones, but also not be condemned by our own regret and remorse when we do it wrongly, but to receive the grace of Jesus and to give the grace of Jesus. It's hard, Sharon. We need the Holy Spirit to help us every minute, don't we? It is very hard, but there is such relief when we come to that place. You know, it's like you said, burnout is a gift. And I just think about moments. I can't believe I'm being so emotional about it, but those moments with him, Mm. where he just, he makes it clear, you know, where we take the time and we sit with him and his word and I journal. So I I work out a lot in my journal Mm. and how he has directed my steps in beautiful ways. So there is relief and there is joy, but there is a message that is coming, not just from the quote unquote world, but from the Christian faith-based community. And, and really, what is wrong with saying, you know, you can do this, work hard, and you've got it inside of you, just dig deep. What is wrong with that message? I mean, isn't that, isn't it true? Oh, man, Sharon. So I who doesn't want to say that, right? We all want to say to each other, you got this, girl. Like, just run harder. I'm cheering for you. Make it happen. We want to say that because it feels like such a uplifting, easy, you know, encouraging way to cheer for other people. And it's so easy to slip into that because those mantras are everywhere. Those mantras are even sometimes inside our Bible study books or workbooks or curriculum or whatever, you know, they're on the, on the bookshelves in the Christian bookstore. They're on the wall hangings at Hobby Lobby. They're at Target. They're on our coffee cup at Starbucks. I mean, these mantras are everywhere. You have to be very active in your mind to say that's actually not true. And here's why it's not true because we are not God. We are just not sovereign. And as much as the culture and as much as our own flesh 
And sometimes as much as even a friend in Bible study, or maybe even a Bible study leader or someone in ministry alongside us, as much as they regurgitate that message, it doesn't make it true. Just because we keep repeating it to each other, it doesn't make it true. So the reason it's so damaging is because if we're saying to each other and to ourselves all day, every day, you can make it happen when we don't make it happen. And if we're honest, we don't make it happen every day, then we will be totally disappointed and exhausted in ourselves. And not only that, but we will probably feel betrayed by God because inside the church, we're saying that, you know, whether it's in some maybe worship music or when we're getting together for some coffee time with ladies from church or whatever. If we're repeating that message in a Christian context and equating it with, you know, God's will is that I try my hardest and I pull myself up my, my bootstraps and he will then reward me. And, you know, I will run hard and Jesus bless it. Then when we run hard and everything falls apart, when our marriage fails, when our children fail, when we sin in a way that we never thought imaginable, you know, the things that happen because we are fallen, finite human beings. When those come to pass, if we have been self-reliant, then we will not only become jaded, depressed, and discouraged with ourselves, but likely feeling those same things about our creator and our maker, God above, because we thought he said, if we try hard, he'll bless it. But he did not say that. That's not in the word of God. (laughs) Right. Tell me when you're at that coffee time with your friends and somebody is sharing their story and it's hard. And another friend who you love as a devoted Christian says, you can do this, you know, just dig deep. How, how would you respond to kind of turn the conversation to truth rather than false promises? Oh, that's good because those conversations are happening all the time, aren't they? And it can be awkward. Like nobody wants to be the Debbie Downer in the group. (laughs) Well, actually, (laughs) but I think, you know, some, I think sometimes it can just be really helpful or useful just to maybe listen to our friends, unload their burdens and just keep asking them questions. You know, how are you dealing with that? Or where are you going for help with that? Or how does that feel? And, um, press into those questions, because I think if we pause longer than reading the wall hanging at Target or the throw pillow at Hobby Lobby, if we go deeper than that and say, you know, tell me more about how that feels or how you're doing or what it's like at the end of the day when you're exhausted or how's your heart with this particular you know, event in your life, I think we will find relief when we're able to confess to each other. It's just not actually going that well. Mm-hmm. I'm actually feeling really burnt out and really sad, really disappointed, really angry with how this is going. So giving people space to be honest about how it's going, being honest ourselves and just saying, I fall into this trap all the time. And here's how discouraging it is for me. And then I think as often as we can, just returning women's gaze and our own gaze to the strong, sovereign, kind character of our God you know, Sharon, you mentioned like, we must be in the word. We must be in prayer. We have to be discipled by the word of God more than we're discipled by the culture around us or by our own flesh or our own agenda. We are prone to wander. We will forget what is true and the character of our good God in a heartbeat. So I think it's just imperative that we be in the word so that we remember freshly every moment of every day, 
what our God is like, you know, the God who gave everything, Jesus, who came down and was crucified and risen and lives again on our behalf. You know, he died that we might live, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Like what a good God we serve. And to look back on the historical truth of who he is and the reality of the Holy Spirit living in you and me right now, that offers so much more enduring hope and joy to our friends than you got this. You know, how about saying, remember the goodness of Christ who died on your behalf and his almightiness that rose him from the grave. And he now intercedes for you and the spirit lives in you. That is about 1 billion times more refreshing than you got this. And I think our friends will be, we will, ourselves will be attracted to that. Our friends will be attracted to that. So let's offer that. Let's say that at the coffee time. If that's, those are the words of life. And I also think um, you hit on something really well, and that is what is, what is true? You know, the scriptures don't tell us to think about that just for the fun of it. It's when we know this is the truth, we can spot the funny money kind of thing when it is the funny money, because we know what the real money looks like. And so I, I think, again, it's his word. And I, it's really a perfect lead in to the next question I have for you. You talk about our cultural trend is to define reality rather than discover reality. What does that mean? And, and how does that make a difference in the way that we respond to our circumstances? Well, this age of self is really, I mean, I just when I think it's maybe crescendoed and can't get any more um, vivacious, it does. <laughs> and, and, and in 2021, we're seeing that even more that we want to be a people who create ourselves. We want to be self-made. We want to, in this moment, we say, look within yourself and decide who you are and then do all that you can to make that identity happen. And so we're making our own identities in ways we never imagined even two, three years ago. And it's only proceeding. It's only going to keep growing. I don't think there's probably an end in sight anytime soon. And so in this moment, especially here in the West and in the United States, we, our greatest value is the autonomous self. Nothing should ever inhibit you do you, you know, whoever you want to be, you be you and no one else can prevent that. It's like the ultimate sin in Western culture to somehow impede someone else's self-expression. But when you are required to make up who you are or to, to self-determine, to determine who you are, then that does put you in God's seat. That does make you not only, you know, you yourself, but it makes you your own creator. And if you're going to be your own creator, then you have to have the stamina and the energy and the perseverance to make your life go. You have to be completely self-reliant. You can't be looking to other people. You can't be looking to any sort of divine being. You have to just look within and you have to become your own God. And it requires you to worship yourself. It requires you to constantly be telling yourself, you are enough. You are good enough. You're going in the right direction. And then we're, we inevitably are sort of looking for affirmation. Do I have enough likes online? Is, are there enough people that are you know, telling me, yes, this is, this is who you should be. You're going the right direction. And ultimately we will end up folding in on ourselves. We cannot sustain that because we cannot, we'll never reach this sort of finish line where we go, yes, I've arrived. I am ultimately and finally, whoever I want to be. And I feel perfectly peaceful and content in that. You know, I think um, the, the words of Tim Keller, who I so appreciate, and he's been 
just such a gift to me in terms of thinking about self. You know, he says, we will crush our idols, whatever we make an idol, whatever we put in the place of God, we will crush. So if we idolize our marriage or our career or the physical ability of our body, when those things fail and they will. So if we are our own God and when we fail and we will, we will crush that idol. And so we are crushing ourselves by being self-made and self-determinant. We were hurting ourselves, deeply hurting ourselves. And so I just, I want all of us to, to wake up to that and realize we are not God. You cannot sustain this. And so that's really what it means to define truth rather than to discover it in this moment of self and the way that I'm looking at it in enough about me, but to discover that, which is objectively true, that's outside of ourselves to seek truth and find it is to seek God and find him. And he's clear in the word over and over that he's not hiding. He does not stand far off. He is our maker and he made us in his image and he's eager to reveal himself to us. And so if we don't have that foundation, that bedrock, that awareness that there is an objective truth and there is a real God, then he does stand ready to offer us salvation and peace and joy in him then we make ourselves God. And that will lead to, that's just the path to destruction. No matter how many times we say it's not, that doesn't make it true. What's true is true. And that is that there is a good God and we can discover him rather than trying to define ourselves as God ourselves. And when we do discover him, we discover that we are part of a bigger story. Amen. There is God's story. And so how does that make a difference in our personal lives? I'm thinking about my own life where yeah. my 16 year old son, Mark and his friend Kelly were in a fatal car accident. And I really struggled to reconcile God's love with his sovereignty. I believed in both, but I didn't know how they could come together in that case. Yeah. And I look back and I know that that wrestling was a gift because so many people wrestle and the Lord wanted me to offer that to others, but that that's for another time. But mm-hmm. Tell me how you would counsel me. How important would it be for someone experiencing such loss who loves the Lord, you know, believes the the faithfulness of God, but is really struggling? What is my role now? What is my response in this bigger story? Why does it make a difference for us to understand it's not about me. Mm. It's about that bigger story. And I fit, I'm part of that bigger story. I fit there somewhere. Oh, I feel like I want to just hear you talk about it, Sharon. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I hear just a piece in your voice as you reflect back on the incredibly difficult and unimaginable journey that the Lord took you through. So I feel like I want to sit at your feet and hear your answer, but um, I'll tune into more podcasts maybe to hear more about that. I think that you are absolutely right. If we do not couch ourselves in what is true, then when crisis comes, when tragedy strikes, we will be left really flailing and suffering without the comfort of a creator who has written a story and put placed us inside that story. You know, he, he wants to offer that comfort. And if we say no, thanks, you know, no, thanks to your grace, to your story, to the reality of who you are, I'm self-made. I'm self-sustained. Then when our world is rocked like that, we will only be plummeted deeper into despair because the the world that we curated and crafted and created for ourselves, or so we thought, is not delivering on the things that it promised. You know, those promises have, they over-promised and they under-deliver at the end of the day. And so 
I love what you say. And I think you're absolutely right. We must acknowledge that we are part of an eternal story that our good God in heaven wrote well before the foundations of the earth, well before we ever came along. And he loved us before the foundations of the earth. And while we were yet sinners and while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. So I think knowing what's true about the whole eternal story, you know, creation and fall and redemption and restoration is huge for every moment. You know, I think of the, of just like the social clamoring that's going on right now in 2020, whether it has to do with global politics or race inside our own country or the presidency or whatever, the COVID, the pandemic. If we have a a, um, sort of working theology that Jesus is coming back, (laughs) that the new heavens and new earth await, that we who are in Christ now are living sort of the pre-life to the real life that is ahead, we will view all all of these troubles as Paul did, as light and momentary. And of course, in the moment, I don't mean to make light, in the moment, they do not feel light or momentary. But if we're being discipled and we're remembering and we're rehearsing the truth that this is not all there is, this short life is not at all all there is. We are heading towards an eternity with Christ where he will reconcile all things to himself by the blood of the cross and he will make all things new. And we have an eternity where there will be no tears and no pain and no suffering and no death. And that's what we were made for. And we know this to be true because we were made in God's image and he's written eternity on our hearts, so to speak. And so there's this wooing inside of our hearts and our souls that says, there's got to be more. I mean, don't we say that every day? There's got to be more to this life. Like I, I reached a goal and it really didn't satisfy. There's, we know in our souls that we were made for more. And I, I think we don't talk about that enough, even in the church, you know, we don't talk enough about eternity ahead that we were made for that. And I think just one more thing to say about that is I find it so key to just remember the character of my God, to remember that he gave everything, that our father knows what it is to lose a son, that the son himself knows what it is to be rejected and beaten and hurt in the most violent, shameful ways, and to endure humiliation and loss that he did not deserve, that we deserve, you know, he knows deeply what that, what it is to feel that. And he did it willingly. Hebrews says for the joy set before him, you know, in reconciling us to himself. So we must remember that this is who our God is. He does not stand far off. He is not distant and cold. As we walk through these trials, he has walked in these same footsteps and he has offered himself for these moments. I find that key in my own life. And as I talk to other women who are going through the valley of death or whatever is happening in their lives, the character, we've got to remember his character and what he is like, and that this is not all there is. And of course that is coupled with community and mourning with those who mourn and sitting and lamenting. Another thing we do sort of poorly in the American church, just lamenting and grieving not seeking for the like glorious finish line so much, like the, the silver lining all the time, but being willing to sometimes just sit in the hard with each other. I mean, everything you're saying, I, I've experienced and I agree with and I applaud what you're saying. And I love Hebrews. I love especially, the, I think it's in Hebrews 4, where the writer says, in essence, we see all this chaos around us, all this junk that's happening. 
but we see Jesus. And I think that's where we have to keep coming back to. Obviously, yes, we have to keep coming back to, but we see Jesus. And yeah. no matter what the situation is, and in our, our Western culture, we see me, mm-hmm. we don't see Jesus. And so, um, Jen, I just want to thank you so much. We could just keep talking. I would just love to just have a whole day with you. We are on our way home, capital H, and we're getting ready. You know, the bride, we're the bride and we're preparing for that day. And that helps me. That encourages me too. when I'm in a difficult place is thinking, okay, how can I prepare for that moment when I see Jesus? And I've been talking with Jen Oshman and I just love it. I know that you've been enjoying this conversation uh, with us. I hope that you have felt as though you're just sitting at a table with a cup of coffee with a couple of friends and eavesdropping on this conversation. It's been so rich. And that's what I love about your book, Jen, Enough About Me. It's so rich. It's not fluffy. It challenges the reader. And uh, I hope that many of you will will buy the book, go, go to the book, get the book, uh, go to the bookstore. We're going to have the information uh, links on our website at markinc.org. That's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. And there you're going to find lots and lots of free resources that offer the help and hope of the gospel. And we do this because we know what it is to be broken. And so we want especially broken people to understand what it means to see Jesus in the brokenness and to realize that you are an incredible, important part of the story that God is writing and and your opportunity to show a broken world what it is to know Jesus. So. Thank you again, uh, Jen, so much. Her podcast will be in our notes as well as her book and her website. And again, that book is enough about me. And I hope that our conversation has acted like salty peanuts and you just want to dig in. You're going to really learn so much more. I'm Sharon Batters, and this is the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Go to markinc.org for more free resources and to subscribe to the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, to find additional free resources on a variety of topics. Online counseling services are also available through Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling by visiting helpandhopenow.org. That's helpandhopenow.org. Download the Help and Hope app on your mobile device. Hope is just one click away.